0: Welcome to Getting Curious, I'm Jonathan Van Ness. And every week, I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Barnard College professor, Zhui Guo, where I ask her, can you set the scene for early China? Welcome to Getting Curious, this is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm going to get right into our introduction. Welcome, Professor Zhui Guo. You are a professor of social and cultural history of early China. That's correct. Um, You are also an assistant professor of pre-modern Chinese civilization and humanities at Barnard College and co-chair of Columbia University's Early China (laughs) Seminar. Your resume is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing so good on like the studies.
1: I uh I am definitely loving what I do. Um that's uh, that I'm I'm um I, I do not know uh, you know what people outside my little circle thinks about what I do, but um as, that's why also I'm so uh, I'm also very excited and and quite frankly very uh flattered to be invited to uh on this show. Um uh, because you know, I study such a, kind of obscure uh, subject and uh, um, quite in quite distant past. So I don't always get to talk to people outside my academic circle or outside my academic life. Um, But um, thank you for your interest and thank you for being curious about early China.
0: Oh, my gosh, it's my pleasure. And thanks so much for taking your time to talk to me and just a little teeny tiny bit about me, just so you know how it happened. I you know, it only occurred to me in my kind of like 20s that I didn't know enough of an an accurate description of American history. And, you know, I was, you know, I went to elementary school and then I went to high school and then I went, you know, to just a little bit of college. And then I went to hair school and I just, you know, which I love, but I just realized, like, I didn't learn that much about China or like any part of Asia, really, you know, outside of like, Geography, maybe. And I just then I was like, Chinese history has probably been around way longer than American history. That that is objectively true. (laughs) So tell me about how much older is China than America?
1: That's a very good question. I think we really have to define uh, both China and America. Right. I think probably for um Ordinary um, listeners said that America means United States of America instead of the continent. Um, so, so I think in that sense, if we talk about the United States of America then um, much, much longer. Um, If we talk about there is a state form um, that has this state level of organization um, then China has that at least for about um, let me think, I have to count uh, about over 3,000 years and uh, the United States is still in the the hundreds, right? So, uh, but I think if we Talk about peoples that have lived in the Americas and then lived in Asia, in East Asia, and that's where China is. Then um, the, the the history becomes much more comparable um, because I'm I'm a historian of the past, so I always think about in longer time spans. Um, so so America had. People lived here, had, you know, really amazing early cultures, just as everywhere else. In fact, in our our common ancient history, we say that America is one of the four so-called pristine civilizations, meaning that they developed on its own rather than as derived from Somewhere else, and we have Mesopotamia in the the Middle East, Um, and then we have Egypt, and then um, we have China. I have to, I think I have to add that for Asia, we also have Indus. Valley that current where India is. And that's also a very, very well established, uh, long lasting civilization. And then we we'll have the Americas. So, so I think, um, that's, that's kind of how I will see it. I'm going to define what, uh, China and, 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 uh, America is. So, um, and, and then we will have different, uh, time spans to compare. Th- does it make uh. sense? <laughs> yes.
0: My little brain just cannot figure it out. Like it so badly wants to be able to understand like when everything was and where it was all going down, but it's too much to get together. So tell me about the the time period that you study.
1: So the time period that I study specifically, I would say um, there are several several ways to say it. Uh, I would say the the common way I would say the is when um, the the first millennium BCE, so before Common Era. Um, this is kind of a more academic term. Uh, it is also before I think in general publication they would say BC uh, before. Uh, before Christ, it's so not MBC before common era is, is more of the, uh, the term that academics adapt these days, um, to, to avoid that Eurocentric, uh, yes. uh kind of undertest of that. Uh, but the, the, so 1000, um, kind of from year zero. And back to a thousand years. And that's, that's first millennium BC. That's my, my research focuses on that period, but also slightly earlier and a little bit into the common era as well, because I also have, um, some. Research interest into the early in, in Chinese history, we call the early imperial period, meaning, uh, we have two, um, empires, the Qin Empire, the Han Empire. So my research ends relative, um, about at the end of the Han Empire when the Han Empire fall in the third century CE, that common era.
0: So common era is like zero. Forward, right. So now right. we're like in 2021 in the Common Era, that's and right. then BCE is before Common before Era, and now right. we're CE. Yes, it, yes, 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 that's get it together. Right. Yes, yeah. Okay. So this is BC, okay, great. Ah,
1: this is so exciting. <laughs> I, okay. I, I know that. I think that a lot of uh, these these terms they are really confusing. That is, if you don't make it a part of your daily life, I don't really see why people need to kind of make these distinctions.
0: Oh yeah, because now we're in the common era. I get it. Yeah, because yeah, because we. You know what it should really be? We're like basic now. Like now we're basic, but before, honey, they were very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So then just to back up a bit, what are, like, the overall, like, time periods and of, like, China as a whole? So you have, like, what would, like, ancient China be?
1: So, yeah, this is, um, so let me give the example as when I teach my course, kind of the introduction to East Asia and China. So I teach the China part and I start because I work on, um, my specialization is early China. So I usually start actually from 10,000 BC, BC when people, we, we have significant settled people. So we began to have, you know, um, sources or, uh, or choices. We can begin to observe patterns. History is really about, uh, you know, observable patterns. So archeologically visible Um and, that means you know the the area has been occupied much early on we talked about in in the really really before time um, but when we began to see um activities or sort uh, of traces of human activities was larger than when people to to settle down, to live in a place and begin to, you know, live their life. And then they will produce things that will be uh, preserved and then an archaeologists can find them. Right. So so that's kind of I start. But from 10,000 BC to about 2000 BC, um, things grow, things develop, things change, but on a very, very slow pace, comparatively speaking, right? We are speaking about seven hundred years as a unit, not a year, not a month, not a day. But once we get into about in China, about two thousand BC, so so the another thousand years before the year that I specialize, um, things began to accelerate. And that's largely due to several technological advancements. One is metallurgy. So this this 2000 BC began the Chinese Bronze Age. So Chinese began to learn how to work with metals. Um, and that's, by the way, is actually coming from Central Asia and, uh, and uh, um West Asia um, and also began to we see in terms of social political structure that things the population began to grow, so there is a need to to find a more efficient and and complicated ways to to organize people and also maybe maintain um, the the coexistence of people of very different cultural traditions and then once we get into the millennium that I talk about you know extensively um, today is is then things just begin to accelerate um, begin to, to to change changes happens at a much faster. Um, pace, um, so, so that's kind of, you know, the, the history that I will begin as the early China. And I really think that part is still very important for reasons and particularly for for these from 2000 BC or from the 1000 BCE, where we began to have a lot more written sources. We have a better idea about what kind of social political institutions they had and remarkable many of them have very, very long uh, life. That um, Let me give an example. For instance, we know um, in the middle of the, this first millennium BCE, many of these regional states began to, uh, to develop ways to count people, census. Mm. Because the state have a great interest to know how many people do they have, because they want to uh, level taxes, and and earlier taxes is poll taxes, right? That's so. So they, they need to know and how many people were working on farms, how much they can produce. Um, so so, in terms of census, we have um, records um, at least as early as four. 100 BC, around or 300 BC, from that time period we began to have records and the first um, census of the entire empire happened in Han dynasty and that happened um, in year two, so we have year zero, year one, year two in the common era and we know, um, we calculated based on the the, um, census records um, Han empire through that census has about 57 million people.
0: Holy sh- wow. <laughs> and
1: yeah, 57 million. Then early China in general we we talk about kind of from the beginning when people settled down began, you know, we began to have a better idea about, you know, where people lived and uh, uh what kind of yeah, basic life, you know, their agricultural practices. Um that we, we began to have information and early China really ends at the end of the Han Dynasty. So into, slightly into the third um, century of the common era um, that marked by the fall of this empire. And and after that is the so-called Three Kingdom period. So, so mm. Han Empire di- divided into Three Kingdoms. Um, that I think some of the your listeners might um I don't know maybe um there is a there's a very popular game uh, based on the three kingdoms, the history of the three kingdoms right after the fall of the Han uh, I don't play games so i I heard about it, and this probably also um not the the current gamer world, maybe 10 years before. Uh, But because that period was the beginning of uh, the so-called disunity in China. So so as you see, the the traditional historical account was always there is one, whether it's Shang Dynasty, Zhou Dynasty, Qin Dynasty, or Han Dynasty. It gave you at least this ostensible unity. Um, But then the, the... after the fall of the Han Empire, um, this ha- China had the first time a prolonged so-called disunity or division, which lasted almost uh, um, five hundred years. So um, that there's just a lot of various kingdoms coming, uh, coming and go, and and also many of the different. Uh, We began to have the northern uh, people coming down, um, that nomadic people began to to come into um, the, the core of this China, what we call China today, and built their own empires as well. So that kind of being used as a watershed moment of marking early China and then historically we say the medieval China.
0: I'm just so fascinated by the past and and trying to imagine like what it looked like and like what the colors were like what was the clothes like like how did people look how did people act and i'm like was it the same as now but just back then
1: like how you know those are great questions i think this is exactly how it got me interested in the past Exactly, these very um, kind of close to us uh, everyday questions that I just wanted to know that uh, you know what was like if we were living in the past. Was it really, really that different? So that's that's basically how um, what is driving me uh, to to do the, the specific, very specialized research. But the questions I wanted to answer are very, I think, are very common to people.
0: What do we know about China? Like, what's the deal, honey, like from way back when? Can you tell me everything?
1: <laughs> I will try. I don't think I can tell you everything, but I think I will try maybe just uh, very broadly, uh, what was, what was like in the period that I studied that I, you know, I, I also got curious and I tried to find out what was it like, just as you want to know about maybe, uh, the, the America, this is where the place you grew up and I, I grew up in China and I was just like you. I didn't know that much. And I also, uh, you know, schools, um, schools have curriculums and, uh, um, and, and I would say everywhere we, we are, we, we need to constantly revisit the, the school curriculum, particularly about history and particularly about the teacher, so called your own history, right? So, um, i I don't think uh we will ever get to know what really happened, but we can make more sincere um effort to get closer to that and that's how uh, how I become a historian um so so the the um era that I studied, that I just said that first millennium BCE, um, in traditional Chinese history, so here I I might get a little bit academic, so let me know if I need to explain more, um, that we have. In Chinese history there is this uh, distinction between pre-imperial, this is the area, uh, the time period that I study primarily, and then imperial. And Chinese history, as I told you, that that um, has about three, a little bit more than 3,000 years of written history, meaning we'll have writings about this history. Um, And that um, divide is pre-imperial, about uh, a little bit more than a 1,000 years. And then imperial... um, Chinese imperial period ended really, really late. It ended in 1911 Mm. in the common era. So basically the beginning of last century, uh, and that's when... China became a republic instead of a, a imperial state, a series of imperial state. So from uh, and that imperial period, usually uh, we use the, the time the beginning as two twenty one B C E. That's the uh, the the so called unification of China into the first empire, and that's Qin. So. Uh, I think most people heard about the first emperor of Qin. You know, he had that gigantic mausoleum, with the terracotta soldiers. Um, oh yes. So so you're so that that was his tomb. That was his, you know, afterlife, um, kind of his afterlife imagination. But that was uh, that was just materially. Like, Impressive. Um, and then so from, uh, the time when he he unified China and until 1911, that is a really long time. That's the imperial history. And for that period, it depends on how do you count it. We have about, um, 24 or 25 dynastic histories. To, to kind of document, official documenting, uh, the, the various dynasties, various empires. Um, so that is a very, very long history. And then the history I study is the pre-imperial. So before the empire. And, and this empire also, um, is very important. It's not only because this is the first empire, uh, in China. China, we call it today, but in East Asia. Um, so East Asia includes modern day China, Korea, Japan, and Vietnam. I can show you about the maps. Just, just kind of to, to anchor us in, in a, in a more yes. anchored a space. Yeah. I think that yes. might help. So I'm going to share my screen. So. Th- oh, this is so fun. <laughs> I, am so sorry that this is my kind of my, my teaching mode kicks in. So you have to bear with me. Um,
0: no, this is so much fun. Don't ever <laughs> apologize.
1: So, so I, I prepared a, a few slides to, to show kind of the geography uh, of, of the, place where, uh, where we are speaking about. And I, I also have to, uh, just, just to make a confession, I love Google Earth. I really love, the, you know, this is the kind of technology that we certainly have the privilege, um, that before they have cut, had cutting edge, uh technology as well but not like this so I, I really love Google Earth to, to really see kind of the the physical geography of the place so this is would be uh, you you're looking at Google Earth uh, on top of um, kind of a top view of where China is um, and and uh, so let me and if we kind of Going the, the more two dimensional. This is where China is currently. This is all, uh, present, uh, names. So this is China. This is Tibet. Um, and, uh, um, the area I work with specifically is this area. So in sort of like, t- in today's China, that would be called a central China, um, in, uh, geographical terms, in cultural geographical terms, particularly if we consider the history of, of the, this area, um, then it's, it's probably, it's largely belongs to thousand China, uh, or central thousand China. And, um, Ooh. so th- I'm just, you know, if we uh, talk about the specific areas, I will go back to these uh, maps. And this is kind of a traditional, uh, based on the the traditional history. Um, so all of these are the dynasties I was talking about. So, so the Shang dynasty and all of these dates are, uh, are also
0: traditional. So I just want to describe for the listeners, if you had to, now look, this might be like really annoying for you because you're like a literal, like professor, like, doctor like of history but if you had to like and this is like a nightmare because i know that this makes you like a nightmare american person um because like we have to like you know make it about us so that we understand but so everyone if you think about like you know go into your mind's eye with like you know your idea of like a chinese like gorgeous map it's like kind of like it, it it's giving me kind of like where like the great lakes would be in like america or like the like like Ohio-ish or like Indiana-ish like yeah. I feel like if you had to like make their different shapes but it's kind of like it's giving me that area would you agree it is kind of in the middle right yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like kind of around there. Yeah. I also just so that you can imagine it, because they're probably in the car and they probably can't look at a gorgeous map right now. No. They're to I this. understand. They're like, yeah. But um, if you, but if you're not, and you can just pull over and look at a map, you really should because it's this uh, the fascinating, and we're going to have this on our social for people that are listening to this because I'm, I've never been so gripped by a map. In my life. So <laughs> keep telling me I'm obsessed.
1: Yeah, I you know, I'm in, in real life. I'm a person with terrible sense of direction, but I love maps for historical study. I just think it is so direct to see um, and, and uh, another way to say that sometimes I, I say to people uh, probably also historians but do not specialize in China is this is sometimes also called the Mesopotamia in China because it's is be, Point, two large mm-hmm. rivers, two largest rivers, the, the Yangtze River in the south and the Yellow River in the no- north and the area I studied in between. So uh, this is also kind of another way to look at uh, the the change, historical change uh, in terms of the geographical span of China. Um, so we are looking really um, You know, this is a traditional view, so I I want to emphasize that. But generally speaking, this is the beginning when we, the, the Shang Dynasty, this is when we began to have writing. So one thing about um Chinese history or Chinese civilization um I teach a course called Chinese civilization I I'm in the middle of that for this semester um one of the hallmark of uh civilization in general but Chinese civilization is the the invention of writing so Chinese writing uh, the the writing we use today um have a um, it derived from about thirteen hundred BCE that has been continuously used until this day um, this is this is relatively unique so elsewhere Chinese writing was not the earliest in the world to be invented uh, but other places where it has early writings that they eventually uh, th- got discontinued, for instance in Egypt, for instance in mesopotamia um and and many other places um never get to um they they just never uh did invent writing um so so that's that's a, a relatively interesting aspect about China is once that writing was invented i also have examples i can show you um and uh, to and then uh, to continuously to be used uh, and this millennium that i study uh, we just have a lot more utilization or use of writing for states and then the second half that of that uh, millennium um many private writing that people began to use writing to express themselves and that's where we got all those philosophers, for instance, Confucius. Ah! <laughs> yeah, so, so this is a really fascinating um, millennium.
0: So Confucius comes from the millennium that you study? Yes, Confucius is uh,
1: lived, uh, traditionally, we think he probably was born around uh, 551 BCE, and he died in 479 BCE. So it is, yeah, right in the middle of this millennium.
0: Okay, wait, so I got to get something straight. So, So it's been 2,021 years since the Common Era started. That's right. Right. And you study from zero common era to 1000 BCE. Right. Right. And so when you said that there was like the 26 dynasties and all of like the shifting up until 1911. So 1911 is like this Republic of China. That's like this one. But that was 1900 years of the dynasty, and then before that, there was like another... We're talking about 3,000 years of uh, history
1: with writing as a sources, uh, but I think that the imperial period, when where we began to have each dynasty has a history, written history right. of, associated with it, that's 221 years before zero, and 1911 after zero.
0: Oh, got it. Yes, this this, 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 Okay, okay, that makes sense to me. That's right. Wow, that's so much time. It
1: is a lot of time.
0: Tell me about when writing started.
1: So the, write, the earliest writing we have today uh, is uh, is from uh, a very peculiar kind of um Material. Um, so, so this was way before paper was used, even though now we are almost a poster paper. <laughs> so I, I realized that how, how distant that must sound. But the earliest writing, the Chinese that we, we say kind of the earliest form of Chinese was found on these, we called it oracle bones. They are bones of, uh, turtle shells and they are bones of, uh, um, ox uh scapulus, the shoulder bones. And I shall I show you a couple of examples? Yes, please. Um so mm. what I wanted to show you is uh these are the earliest writings. Um they find that uh, this is uh, a shoulder bone of the um of uh cattle of, of um ox and Wow. And, and they are engraved. So, um, and this one you can also see. So it's because the shoulder bone, you know, <laughs> I always use my own shoulder bone to, to illustrate because that uh, uh-huh. has a flat surface. So you that's a good writing surface. Um, yes. I, I think that uh, um, that... We, we generally think this was not a common material for writing. There were probably organic uh, materials such as uh, wood or bamboo, because uh, later we do have archaeological finds of those, but not to this early period because of the uh, preservation. Uh, But these bones uh, were uh, were much better preserved uh, compared to the other more organic, plant-based writing materials. But the writing itself that as you can see in this, uh, this is around 1300. Um, This is a mature form of writing. Um, We still don't know, very much about the origin of um, of the writing uh, because when we have it, this is already a, a fully functional, uh, mature form of writing. So there are various theories about how did the writing get invented in China. Um, there were kind of marks and quite complicated marks on potteries in previous uh Millennium uh, but since we we cannot really decipher them, they seems to marking things, but not in a way we could decipher as we were able to do with these. I told, I just said they are oracle bones. And the reason they are called oracle bones is because most of these writings that engraved on carved onto uh, the the bone, the cattle bones and uh, um, turtle shells, they were records of divination. So, uh, what I mean by divination is most, the vast majority of them are these shang kings that they, um, they have, um, they have a lot of concerns. They need to worry about whether, you know, this, uh, they are going to have a good harvest and they are concerned about the weather, right? The next 10 days, uh, is there going to rain or, uh, they're concerned about if they, uh, went on for a hunting, uh, hunting game, is it going to be smooth? Is it is something accident going to happen. And what I'm showing you here, um, this is actually, I just, um, saw this morning and, and think about it, uh, because, uh, t- today is actually, um, let's see. Oh, in China now, um, it's already the lunar new year, the year of ox. Um, and and so I I was thinking about showing you this is why I I show I this is one of my um, most favorite artifact about the ox. This is a bronze ox jar for wine. Um, so I, I will tell you about that later. But coming back to the writing. So what was recorded on this particular bone, um, is a record of the Shang King, um, went for a hunting trip and then had an accident that his, his car, uh, chariot, um, broke off. Oh. And, uh, uh, so as you can see, um, Chinese writing is, uh, is usually understood as, um, I think early on, it's called a logogram, but now we think it is more of a ideogram, I meaning it's a combination of uh, of expressed ideas um, in addition to their sort of sound component. But in any case, I think this is actually a quite, uh, quite self-explanatory. It's talking about the yoke
0: of uh, of a chariot that got broken, and this was a record. In this character, you can see everyone, is like... Um it looks like there's a chariot and like one of the sides of it has become disconnected. That's correct. And, what? and is there, are there symbols on this gorgeous ox bone that like are still in use like now? Because you said that like, once we see writing that it's like, we it's still used now, which is just, that is amazing.
1: There is a trend. There is a development. But uh, let me see. Um, Yeah. For instance, um, oh, for instance, this one. Do you see this one?
0: Yes. So this it looks kind of like a
1: Y. (laughs) It does look like a Y. Or this very much looks like. Sorry, I have to go into a little bit into what the divination the divination is about. The divination is the this kind of divination is using these whether it's turtle bones or um or these um cattle bones. They they have they drill holes on the backside. Sorry, I don't have that to show you. But the reason they do that is to prepare these bones so they can when they are put over heat um, the. And they can correct. So those cracks, um, I don't know if you can see this one. Yeah. These ones, these cracks. These were interpreted as messages coming from the ancestors. So these uh these Divination, uh, is, uh, is considered as a, a way of communicating with the deceased ancestors who, who became the, uh, the spiritual force that can, uh, give blessing or, uh, or, you know, sending down calamity. So, so the, the descendants were very much, um, in this case, the Shang-King were very much care about, uh, the, the ancestors' forecast about, in this case, about his hunting game, about his own safety. Um, so apparently what he did was he he had diviners to prepare these bones and then there were uh, these cracks and then these cracks being interpreted as either, you know, yeah, you are going to have a fun game, go for it, or there might be some, you know, concerns and you want to be careful um, and in very, very rare cases um, apparently if something, for instance, in this case, something I'm Pleasant happened. Somebody fall off because of the the whale got off, um, and somebody fall off the the chariot, um, and uh, got hurt. And so so then they came back and uh, and and say, okay. So so the um, the forecast about there will be concerns, there will be worries was correct. And for reasons we still don't know very well, they choose to to. Uh, engrave this entire process from you know they had these concerns they did the divination and the aftermath and they they choose to to uh, put uh, a very brief records on these bones and this is how we got the earliest writing in China so even though it is a very very narrow window uh, but this is the earliest uh, uh, written records we have, and this is where we got uh, the earliest writing. And come back to your question about um, were there some of the, uh, the the forms are still used? Yes. And so, for instance, this one, yeah, you said like a Y, right? So it can go this way or this way. It doesn't matter. Um, this 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 graph later will be uh, read as Bu, and it is, This is a modern graph. Can you see how similar they are?
0: Yes.
1: And this means to do, uh, do divination by cracking the bones.
0: Ah, <laughs> I love that, sir. That's so cool that it has endured for this long. Your expertise spans over a thousand years. And so, what was going on, like? At 1000 BCE, what was happening, like at the beginning?
1: So 1000 BCE, around that, uh, the more specific date that scholars uh, of Chinese history now come to uh, a a consensus was about uh, around the year um, 1046 or 45 Between that year, so about 50 years before 1000, was this uh, so-called Shang-Zhou transition. And and simply put, Zhou was uh, a smaller polity from the West. And Shang was sort of in this area. Its core is in this area. And uh, Zhou conquered Shang. So put it in the simplest term. And that's why Shang became Zhou. And this is also a, a traditional historiographical narrative that there are these dynasties, dynasty, uh, exchange, uh, changes. Um, and so around that year, um, when the Zhou was founded and then, uh, for the next millennium, um, Zhou was trying to govern this, this, you know, enlarged territory. So they need to basically, just as any government, if you all of a sudden have a much larger territory, have a lot more people than you used to have, the first thing you wanted to do is how to govern, how to hold everything together, if that's what you wanted to do. And I think really from a polit- political point of view, that's what the, the ruling class want to be. Right, they want to control a, a larger area because that means a lot more people, a lot more resources, a lot more wealth. Um, so politically speaking, it is a, a high order of task that how do you uh, how do you govern? such a a much bigger territory. And socially speaking, um, it's also about the people living in these areas. Um, you know, some probably before identified themselves as allies or subjects of the Shang, and now Shang was conquered. Uh Shang became a subject. Um the Shang descendants become subjects of the Zhou. Uh so what do you do about it? Um and and also many in this this area, there were many many um, independent to semi independent uh, polities regions. Um, this is another thing that why this this era this millennium fascinates me. It's also because um, there were just a lot of regions and has very long history of their own and have their very long traditions, local traditions. And so I'm really fascinated by, um, kind of the tension between the forces For instance, for the Zhou dynasty, for the Zhou kings, that they wanted to integrate. They want to have control, centralized control. Uh, By the way, this is also, I think, China being historically understood as always having a higher level of centralization. Um, Versus these, you know, just on the ground, in reality, that um, China also has a, a very diverse regional culture, which survives into today as well, particularly through language. Um, so how, how do these two kind of forces um Work together there's a one force try to pull everything together, but there's also forces of the regional cultures wanted to keep their own tradition keep their own independence if not political independence at least cultural uh, preserve their cultural heritage and cultural traditions so this is what I find that uh, that this Millennium was really pivotal to understand how um, how the next two millenniums that those uh, two thousand years of imperial history, meaning from the the imperial empire point of view, they always wanted to integrate. They always wanted to have more people to have more centralized control. And then there's this underlying, persisting resistance and resilience. Of the local culture um, that that you know trying to negotiate with this um, seemingly overwhelming state power. So, so that's what fascinates me in this millennium because many of the strategies on both sides of uh, many of the state level institutions were developed, uh, bureaucracy, for instance, were developed in this. Uh, or fully developed in this millennium. And then there's also a lot of local strategies that how do they resist or coexist with such kind of state power? And also just how to coexist with, uh, ever enlarging, um, contact with people that probably previously, uh, due to technological, um, advanced uh, that you've never had a direct context. So in ancient world, the peoples um for a lifetime most people living in where they were born. They they're, you know, they do not travel beyond their own village or their own town. Or even just, you know, maybe the the fathers will be to the next largest market town. For most uh, very, very common people. Uh, but that's kind of where the strength of the region of, of the regional culture comes from and the resilience comes from. So I'm very fascinated uh, by this tension between, you know, the forces of integration, unification versus the forces that, that trying to maintain the region's, um, social, cultural, um, tradition
0: so as the Zhou dynasty started to like come into its own and it was like you know like just you know like 50 years before like the thousand but right so what was it like like w- were they like uh, was it like an emperor empress situation yeah. was there a congress was there elections <laughs> was it all like royal born? like what was the deal <laughs> How that's, did it work? How did that centralized government work?
1: That's, that's such a great question. And interestingly, I think, uh, United States, despite, you know, um, it, it's such a, such a different cultural and time diff, uh, cultural context and time diff, uh, period. It's actually a good analogous to, uh, uh, analogy to think about because, uh, yes, so there was, the king, there was the royal family, and the, the throne is, or the rulership, the authority, the, the ruling authority is passed through, uh, songs, right? So, uh, the Zhou king, um, in theory, I think, well, I shouldn't say in theory. That's almost in a sense of what we would call law. Um, it's not the, the modern day codified law, but kind of a ritual law. The king only have one official life at a time. But the king can have many, many secondary lives. So the king really mm-hmm. has a lot of offsprings, uh, but only the sons will have the opportunity to become the uh the, the next king and the, Really only the son born the only the first born son born to the official wife. So that's how the king of ship. Um got transmitted, and then the king has his ministers um, all of those ministers at the beginning and for quite a long time were generally of uh, these aristocrats, these highborns, many of them are they are uh, they are related either by um you know, by, uh, by marriage, by, uh, alliances or just biologically related. Um, so it's not so different from any other pre-modern society that, that, uh, kind of the blood relationship was the foundation. But on top of that, as the, the state get more, uh, complex than all kinds of alliances coming in political alliances through marriage or simply through, you know, Political negotiations, um, and and these people help the king to run the state, um, and and the the king will hold court. For instance, the Zhou kings have two primary capitals. They are sort of uh, about let me think, maybe three hundred kilometers away from each other. Um, there was. Several other places the king also have uh, have residence, but those were two political capitals of the Zhou kings. And, uh, and that's pretty much where the Zhou kings did direct uh, control. Uh, for the far-flung, as you see, it goes all the way here. And we are talking about over a thousand kilometers. So far-flung places... Um, the Joe Kings would send their, uh, their relatives there to be mm. the regional king. Uh, but what it was really interesting was they were not sent to places where sort of, you know, virgin lands, um, there were people already there. So it was really interesting how did these outsiders coming in waste uh, the, you know, state power behind them and how do they deal with the local population? And this is also what I, I'm most interested in.
0: So what happened? How did they work together? Were they just mad as hell at the at these rich, like, you know, royal people? Or were they kind of like, okay, like, we can be your friend, but like, don't make us do like your way of life if you let us keep our own thing? Or what happened? I'm pretty sure all of those happened. <laughs> I think...
1: Um... So, so first of all, so this kind of, uh, trying to control this large state clearly is a combination of both military conquests. So use sheer force. Um, and also, uh, economic incentives that to, to try to bring, for instance, more resources and higher technology, uh, to help the local people to, to actually, you know, uh, improve the life of quality, if you will um and or and also um there there when you encounter different group of people um there will be clash of um of culture right your way of life and our way of life so it's it's a process of getting to a point where um that there has to be a equilibrium that that would reach that level but what we know depending on the sources and interestingly because of the the people these Joe people and these aristocrats were the people who are literate. They have the ability to write the story. So we know this is Sometimes we say that the history is written by the winners, right? In the, in the colloquial sense. Um, so, so the people who have the ability to write a story according to their perception, their understanding. And this is really what we get for China that for that
0: 3000 years of written history. There was no dissenters centers that were found.
1: Not in the not in the written sources or uh, Mm. at least not their voice. You know, that rebellions happened, of course, Uh, you know, resistance clearly were there, but they were not, uh, they will be portrayed as rebels. They will be portrayed as uh, perpetrators Mm. of the proper social order. Um, But the actual story must be much more complicated than that, right, so how did the uh, the local people receive uh, the these outsiders that 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 process must be a combination of um you know I will accept a certain terms, but I'll also um, negotiate the terms. And, and those terms will change over time. And interestingly, that even the outsiders, and we were also talking about, and this is what I mean by United States can be um, used as a good example to, to think as analogy, is, you know, when you largely were talking about immigrants <laughs> going to far away places. But after several generations, they became native born, right? So we're talking about European immigrants coming here. Um, And after several generations, several hundred years, um, then they became the Americans. Um so so that's kind of what I'm getting at that the actual uh, society is, is this really ever evolving process of dealing with um things you're familiar with, your way of life, but uh once there are new things coming in, then there's a lot of different ways of reacting. Um, you know, there's isn't just one way of good or bad or uh, us, of them, um, and then eventually they become this is also, you know, America is called the, the melting pot and this happens everywhere that when culture um, come across each other and and this also happened in this millennium that I study uh, because of these conditions.
0: So what happened after the Jokings? Like, so did the joke? did the Han Dynasty Control all of this like yellow and orange part two or- yeah
1: so so this this map um, just, just um, put it simply uh, the the Han Dynasty, which would be the second empire um, controls or at least have um, let's say political and a military presence um, in the green area uh so I, they they really reached them far, far, uh, farther than the earlier the the pre-imperial one. This is the reason that they this is uh called the empire, right? Um, so it's really integrate a lot of uh regions that it's used to be uh independent and. As you can see that also very different regions and of very, very different cultures. Um, so, so what happened in the Millennium I study was, um, uh, the, the Zhou kings direct or even through their relatives of sending them to areas to, to be the regional ruler. And that would Gradually, through the, the integration of these outsiders coming in with the local community, and they will become more identified with the region they live. They were born there. They lived there. Um, they had intermarriages with the local people, with the local, um, you know, local people also having, um, their own, um, or earlier, uh, their own power structure, if you will. And, and so, so the power dynamics will shift. And, and in the end, the joking were no longer able to maintain, um, this, mm. this control. And uh, basically, then it's, it's become a lot of independent, um, independent smaller states and this is what ha- this happened in the Zhou dynasty or in this millennium for, for much of it or if not the entirety um, so, so this millennium has been called or the, at least the second half of it uh, um, Chinese historians tend to call it the multi-state world because there are a lot of little states, big states, as many as uh, several hundreds. Some of them are very, very small, could be just one tongue, and uh, some of them probably much large has uh, has uh, several large tongues, and and then they will eventually uh, be become. For instance, this is where Qin came from. Qin was a, a regional state. And from the west, and were able to in, incorporate or unify all the other smaller, big and small states, and went out as the as the one who built the first empire. Um, so, so that's kind of what was happening on the broadest sense.
0: So, but the Chin when how do I Chin is that right? Yeah, you really have it, a neck for Chinese.
1: <laughs> Your pronunciation, really, it's, it's just it's just perfect.
0: They, thank you so much. They, but they didn't last for super long, it no, seems like.
1: No, the, the Qin Empire lasts only 14 years. Okay. Yes.
0: But it controlled all of what used to be the Zhou and the Qing ones.
1: Yes. So Qin here, this darker grain. So so it's expanded from the Shang and then the Zhou. Wow. And then Han further expanded. But what I, I do want to emphasize that, you know, this is where I, I love maps, but maps can be misleading as well. We shouldn't think about these areas that because we colored them. So that means they are all Han. Um, the, the degree of control are very uneven. So the core, right. right, so the core has probably been be consolidated further and further. And, and by the time of Han Dynasty, that they were, you know, very solidly under the control of the Han Empire. But for instance, that this part, this north uh, northwest part, which borders today the, um, the um, what we we'll call Central Asia, and then um, connected to West Asia. This is where Silk roads are. So, um, right. and this area was more, a lot more fluid. Um, there, there is a lot of, uh, for instance, the steppe empires. This is also where the, Chinese Empire, the Han Empire, usually is called an agricultural based empire versus these nomadic empire people, uh, lived on horsebacks that they live a, a mobile, much mobile life versus the, um, Han Empire that the vast majority of the people were farmers, were, were living in villages, do not move as much. Um, so this is a, a contested area of um, a lot of warfare. Happens, and this is why you, have, you see the Great Wall of China,
0: right? Uh, which is up north. What was that built?
1: Um, this one, what is showing here? Um, this, this, this is why this is a, a, a map that um, I think is good for illustration. But um, this one is built. Uh, connected so there were previous walls many of them uh, but it's connected largely during the Qin dynasty and, and ah. but, but the great wall if you go to China I hope you go one day the great wall you see today um especially if you go to Beijing, then you will see it's just in a suburb. Um, That one was built in the, the, uh, the Ming dynasty. That's late imperial, I think I might, um, I have to think about I think even uh, 14 uh, no uh, 14th to 16th century so so each dynasty they will continue to repair to build. but the earliest wall of the so-called great wall um, it was part of the Qin wall and that dated back to around 400 BCE so so these this great wall did not come into the shape we have today um not until much much later but these the foundations the earliest the foundation were very
0: early so when do we see like the like the most modern like jobs like when was the first like hairdressers did that happen in the the part that you study absolutely I think uh, So what was their deal?
1: I think because um, this is actually really interesting because um, recent uh, discoveries, archaeological discoveries, uh, have uh, really revealed that uh, these aristocrats were very much into uh, you know beauty products. They really care about their appearance. you know, not only they have the best clothes. Um, Mostly silk, made of silk, but yeah, they they, they wear makeups and uh, they they have very uh, elaborated hair uh, hairstyles. Uh, clear, so I would think they must have people help them instead of you know they can do that themselves. Both aristocratic men and their um, and aristocratic women. Um, so so in um, in tombs that we find, um, they have these these. Um, Toiletry um, boxes. They have their makeups and they have their hair extensions. They have, you know, very exquisitely made uh, hairpins, combs. So uh, I think they spend a lot of time on their hair.
0: (laughs) Wow. Do we see any salon? Or, like, was there any like salons that we see or no? They just more did it at home. I
1: I would think it's more do it at home that I... I I guess because these aristocratic families, they you know they can afford their all all their services that is for their own family. So I I do not know if there are salons that you know common people, farmers can also go to. I I suppose the the, the farmers probably also dealt with their hair. Somebody in the village or in the family that
0: would. But so like and like village life like so there wasn't necessarily like big cities like or like it was like little or like villages
1: most of them but there were big cities there were um some of the cities probably the largest of the world at the time
0: so did they have like so in those really big cities like what do we in in that era from 1000 BCE to like the common era like what was like a life what was it like in a big city like was there Right. What was it like
1: there? I think um, so. So the big cities uh, in um, in this pre-imperial era, we have several of them that we uh, both have archaeological discoveries and. and also uh, textual sources. So for instance, the uh, uh, one city that I study that was probably built um, is actually in the south. Um, this is uh, the capital city of this kingdom called Chu. Uh, uh, historical, it's not here because it's, belong, it's being traditionally um, kind of said it was a, a Zhou dynasty regional state. And that, um, I think, the, the size of that city um, but today's comparison is not that impressive. It's about, um, I think, half of Manhattan.
0: It's it, huge. <laughs>
1: I think small. for New Yorkers, so that's not small. Uh, but, but that's kind of the, the, the city that I, cause I know, uh, better. So I'm just going to use that as an example, but there were larger cities than that. There would be, you know, a, a, nor- a northern city that we know possibly, uh, probably the entire New York, the size of New York City, you know, not just Manhattan. Um, so, so that kind of size and, and then the urban life were probably also quite interesting. Uh, just as new york you know really um attractive because of the diversity so there's all kinds of people living there there's still large population around such urban centers that probably are farmers so so they support the the city uh dwellers um and mostly to to su- supply food for them um and then living in the city. From archaeology, what we can see is the city is also functionally divided. So there's uh usually you have the the royal family, the court, that that had the the core in the core city being wadded off. Um, then aristocratic families, and then also artisans, craftsmen. So it's all sorts of uh, uh workshops. So workshops making um, making uh, bronzes, making uh, tools, making potteries, um, and uh, um, the the area I study especially workshops making uh lacquer. Lycra- Lackoware at the mm. time was actually uh, extremely uh, time consuming and that's extremely expensive. Um, so they supply these aristocratic families so they have most uh, exquisite wares to use, to eat, to drink, to have uh, um, banquets, feasts or um and some workshops must produce, for instance, a musical um, instruments. Um, yeah, the the aristocratic life was not bad, so they were entertained all the time. Um, they they like music, they like dancing. They um, they have the, the professional dancers trained for their uh, entertainment, um, and uh, and and so craftsmen is a uh, it must be a big population living in these urban centers as well um and then you know many of the bureau uh, the the um aristocratic people um they were they were serving at the king's court kind of what we say working for the government um so <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's kind of the, the urban life. And I think that, uh, but most of them do not participate directly in agricultural, produce food. But those populations, the supporting population, usually uh, live outside of the urban centers.
0: Uh, Professor Zwei Guo, I feel like I have, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. For me, I feel like it's good news. Um, Would you ever do a second episode with us so that we can do? Because I feel like I had so much to ask just to even understand this time period that I, I barely even I know. got to ask everything that I want to ask about. I know, I, but I want to interview you twice <laughs> because absolutely, yes. I'm yeah. just so fascinated and I just will. I. Uh, this is just such a big subject. I couldn't have ever done it. And and I could honestly talk to you for like three more hours. I know. Like I, easily. I, I, think, I
1: think that the problem is really just because it's it's really long. So uh, there are so many things that I, I have to, you know, kind of talk I'm a lot about. I'm obsessed
0: with it. I,
1: and <laughs> I'm I happy interrupting about it. Because I
0: get too excited. Not a but, problem. I mean, because I mean, I'm looking at my thing. We're already at an hour and 20 minutes. And I feel like if I start asking what I want to get into, it's like, we'll never be able to edit it down. I think this is just a two-part episode, which is totally (laughs) fine with me if it's fine with you. Will you come back and talk to us more? Because I need to, like, I have a whole other episode in me with you that I just, but but all of this was so good. So what are we supposed to do? We have to do more.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. I, I think that I also um I think I'm just really bad uh, to 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 say more, you know, in, in a more concise way. um And, and if you
0: ever call yourself <laughs> bad in front of me again, I swear you are the best. I'm obsessed. I thank you. I mean, you're this is so good. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, seriously, like, it's it's so good. You really did do so good. And I am so excited to talk to you more.
1: Yeah, I think that I would be happy to maybe next time we can get into more of the specific topics that you like to to ask. Is there anything what? that you are burning to know
0: that that today? Ah. Uh, well, yeah, but there's I I feel so satiated with everything that I learned. It's I mean, but I have like 50,000 other questions. I mean, I want to know about women's stuff. I want to know about gay stuff. I want to know about jobs. I want to know about, like, all the other stuff that interests you, about, like, the pull and the tug of, like, the newcomers coming. That's right. But then, like, you know, and then, like, and I also kind of want, I, I know that we say that, like, history is written by the winners, but, like, what happened to the people who maybe didn't win? Like, how dark did it get? Like, or do we just not know about that stuff? And also, like, is there any, like, really just gorgeous gay love stories was their cat like was their cat <laughs> was their puppies um That'll
1: also work. like
0: gorgeous clothes like yes. i mean Yes, all of those. I I, I mean, you're only making me want to have I mean, Are we going to roll right into the second interview now? No, because I think we literally have to have you back again. I mean, I think people are going to be obsessed. Don't we think people are going to be obsessed? I just think that this is exciting that we didn't realize that we are walking into like a two-part interview. We didn't even know that that's how it was going to be. But it's not our fault that you're fascinated. (laughs) It's just not our fault. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Vaness. My guest this week was Barner College Professor Jue Guo. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Our editor is Andrew Carson and our transcriptionist is Alita Vuncha. Getting Curious This is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.